Well, good morning, everyone, again. So great to see you. Uh, I was picking up on a theme there. I don't know if you caught it. There is power. Did you notice that? There is power. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Romans chapter 8 is all about the power that is available uh, through the Holy Spirit because uh, we have been adopted into God's family. And so today uh, we'll be continuing, continuing our study in the book of Romans, and that's the title of today's message, actually, Adopted into God's Family, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. Uh, let's go to the Lord before we begin. Lord, we do thank you for your powerful word. We thank you that there is power in the blood, Lord, the precious blood of the Lamb. And Lord, as we learn about the Holy Spirit's power uh, throughout Romans chapter 8, Lord, I pray that uh, we'll just have a newfound appreciation uh, for this mysterious Holy Spirit. And Lord, uh, what he does in our lives, Lord, help us understand that he is truly deity and that this deity lives inside of us and enables us to be what we never could be before him. And Lord, we just thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that as we go through these verses, Lord, that uh, you would give us new appreciation and uh, illuminate these verses for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you may have seen uh, this week uh, that there was a video that went viral uh, of this nine-year-old boy uh, by the name of Jordan. Uh, he has been living for the last six years in a foster care center in Oklahoma, uh, and he was interviewed by a local television station that came to see him, uh, and they said to him, uh, Jordan, if you had three wishes, uh, what would they be? And Jordan said, I have only one wish family. It's the only wish he wanted, just family. Uh, and, and Jordan just tugged on the heartstrings of everybody who saw uh, that video. And I think it's hard for us, most of us anyway, to imagine uh, Jordan's pain. Uh, most of us grew up in families with a mom or a dad and brothers and sisters, and we have shared experiences and things that bind us together and make us a family. And there's there's just something about that sense of belonging, and uh, in good times and bad times, these are my people, right? These are my people. Family is always family, and that's irreplaceable, uh, and Jordan wants that desperately. And the last I heard, more than 10,000 families submitted applications to adopt Jordan. And so uh, the public response to this video has so overwhelmed the foster care agency that they, they just don't have the manpower to sift through all of these applications and try to find the family that is the best fit for Jordan. But the question now is not whether Jordan will be adopted. The question is when he will be adopted and, and who is the most ideal family uh, for him. So uh, we just look forward to Jordan's adoption and all those kids in those foster homes that, that they would uh, step up and adopt these kids who so desperately need a home. Well, as great as it is uh, to be part of a human family, it's even better to belong to God's family. Uh, Molly and I have done the best we can as parents, uh, and I'm sure you'd all say the same. You've done the best you can uh, parenting your kids. Uh, but we've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes, right? There are some decisions that we've made that we'd like to have back, uh, some punishments or disciplines that perhaps were too harsh, uh, some words that maybe didn't need to be said that we let slip out anyway. Uh, we can never parent perfectly because we are imperfect people. 
But God is completely unlike us, understatement of the year, right? Uh, God is perfect, and God doesn't make mistakes. Uh, when God adopts us into his family, we become his sons and daughters, and now we have a perfect heavenly father. And on earth, we might dream about things like, well, what would it be like if some long-lost aunt uh, died uh, that we never even knew and left us a fortune? Well, that would be great, right? We'd have all kinds of earthly wealth, but being adopted into God's family is so much better than that because we experience God's infinite love and his resources, they never run out. They're, they're infinite. He can give us whatever he wants and, and he can give them to us for all eternity. And this is all just part of what we get when we are adopted into God's family. God looks down and claims us and says, you are mine and all the blessings that God can give are then bestowed upon us. And so uh, we'll look at verses uh, 14 and 15, and the first thing we'll see today that one of the benefits of being adopted into God's family is that believers are led by the Holy Spirit. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. So as we've been going through uh, these uh, early verses in Romans chapter 8, we've been looking at tests or assurances, you might say, uh, that we are part of God's family, that we are true believers. And what we've learned so far is that all believers have the Holy Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, if you believe that Christ died to pay the penalty for, this, for your sins, the penalty that you deserve, uh, then you have the Holy Spirit. You are saved. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit who now indwells us will empower us uh, to help us to stop sinning so that we sin less and less. That's Romans 12 and 13. And now here in Romans 8, 14, we get now a third assurance that we are, uh, that our salvation is secure. And that assurance is that the Holy Spirit is leading us. And if he is, we are sons of God. So I just want us to uh, pick apart these two verses. We're going to look at verse 14 first, and we're going to ask a few questions of this verse. And the first one is this, aren't we all sons of God? Well, what does the verse say? For, we, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the short answer is no, not all people are the sons of God. Now, in one sense, God is the father of us all, right? God is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of every single person who has ever lived, but we're not all his sons. And if I could just sidebar for a second, when I use the word sons today, I mean sons and daughters, okay? Let's, be, let's use inclusive language, but if I don't say sons and daughters, know that sons means sons and daughters. But we're not all, God, all God's sons in the sense that we are blood-bought, bought by the blood of Jesus. That's a separate category of uh, the sons of God, and it's a very important distinction. So we're all God's sons in the sense that we could not have, have come into existence without God. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 talks about God's creation of man, and we understand uh, that we would not be here if it wasn't for what God did. Psalm 139, David talks about how God knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, the genealogy in Luke 3, for example, uh, dates Jesus's ancestry, starting with Jesus, the son of David, all the way back to Adam, who Luke then calls the son of God. So in some sense, we are sons of God because we were created by God. 
But remember, this idea of sonship, this is a metaphor that Paul is using, and adoption is a metaphor to talk about a more intimate sense of sonship that only belongs to believers in Jesus Christ. And we're only sons in that sense if we are led by the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God can't lead us if we don't have the Holy Spirit, and we don't have the Holy Spirit if we have not received Jesus Christ as our Savior. So the distinction between being uh, just one of his creations and one of his sons is literally the difference between life and death. Uh, Romans 8, 9 continues, if anyone does not have the spirit of life of Christ, he does not belong to him. So those in his family have eternal life, and those who are outside of his family do not have eternal life. Now this idea of being a son implies responsibility uh, on behalf of the father and duty on behalf of sons and daughters. Uh, when I became a father, uh, when you became parents, uh, your whole world changed, right? My whole world changed. I remember uh, taking Allison out of the hospital and securing her in the car seat with the regular car seat and, you know, tying up with ropes and bungee cords and everything else. We wanted her snug in there. And then Molly sat in the back seat with her, with her hand over, you know, just to be extra careful. Uh, when we became parents, we had this new uh, creation to, to care for. Uh, and we became responsible to love our kids, to protect them, to educate them, to feed them, uh, to, to provide for them, to teach them. Uh, the, this is my daughter. This is my son. I must do that for them. Now, I don't have that obligation to your kids. You have that obligation to your kids. You don't have that obligation to my kids. But God has that obligation to all of his children. And it's true that God does bless all of his children, right? We know uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 45, he causes his son to rise and set on the evil and the good, and he sends his reign on the just and the unjust. But he does have this special love for his own sons, those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. And so God promises to keep our salvation secure, and he doesn't do that for those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as his son. He only does that for the people who claim this sonship by believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. And because God is all-powerful, uh, he's able to fulfill his promises. We trust that God will bring us home. He will secure our salvation, make our salvation secure, and bring us home to heaven one day. So God has an obligation as a father, but we have a duty as well as sons and daughters uh, sons and daughters, uh, we must honor and love our earthly parents, uh, and we should obey our earthly parents too. Uh, and so, as a son, I have that duty to my own parents. I don't have that duty to your parents, but I have that duty to my parents, and my kids have that duty to me. Now, when we're talking about our relationship with God, we all have that duty to, to obey and listen to God and honor God. But beyond that relationship that we have with our earthly parents, we have this additional duty too, because he's God, to worship him and revere him as well. Now, if you didn't have good parents, this, this whole metaphor of, of being a son, being a daughter of God, uh, it may not resonate with you so well. 
Uh, but God is the perfect father, uh, even if your earthly father was less than perfect. And our duty to serve God, the God in heaven, is easy because he loves us unconditionally and, and he would never do us harm, even when we're suffering. Uh, that suffering, uh, God will make for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So uh, he always does what's best. He loves us unconditionally and we can trust his promises to save us and secure us for all eternity. Now, this teaching that I'm giving you right now, uh, you may know, is becoming increasingly unpopular. Uh, this idea that God has special love toward his adopted children is something that a lot of Bible teachers aren't teaching today. They're instead teaching this doctrine called universalism, the doctrine that everybody will eventually be saved because of God's great love for all of his children. Now, that may be a nice sentiment, but it ignores the totality of the New Testament that says that we must believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. It ignores the fact that God is holy and he must punish sin. And it ignores the fact that Jesus had to die on a cross to pay for our sin so that we would not have to bear that punishment ourselves. So no, not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone is a son of God. Only those who are being led by the Spirit of God. Only those who have the Holy Spirit because they have believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So aren't we all sons of God? In one sense, yes. But in another sense, no. You want to be sure that you're a son of God in the way Paul means it, having this intimate relationship with God because you have been adopted. Well, what about a second question? What does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Uh, we can be led uh, against our will, right? And we can be led voluntarily. For example, uh, when David was the king of Israel and things were going really well in the kingdom, uh, all the people voluntarily followed him. But centuries later, after the kingdom had disintegrated, the Babylonians led them away into captivity with hooks in their nose. That's being led involuntarily. That's not the way you want to be led somewhere. You want to be led voluntarily. Well, the Holy Spirit will lead if we are willing, but he won't force us to follow him. And as we talked about last week, sanctification is a cooperative effort between us and the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Christ. And last week we saw that people who are being sanctified are people who are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And now here in verse 14, uh, Paul adds that uh, people who are being sanctified are those who are being led by the Holy Spirit. So we see in those two verses that these are choices that we make to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gently guides our decisions, and he makes certain parts or pages of the Scripture just jump off the page to us, freshly illuminating these things for us so we understand them in a new way, and we see things that we never saw before, and, and he shows these things to us, and he wants us to obey those things. Uh, he, he gives us greater understanding of God's grace so we're not trying to earn our salvation. He leads us to repentance, humility, truth, holiness, and even usefulness. And he helps us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you are being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to know it. You're going to recognize these qualities in you. Now, if you became a believer later in life, uh, well, 
the old you should be completely unrecognizable to the new you. You should be able to look back at the old you and say, I can't even believe that's the same person. The changes should be so great. Uh, and those changes should be easily confirmed by looking at in the mirror, by asking your wife, your kids, your friends, your coworkers, whoever. Uh, you should be able to see a big difference. Uh, if you've been a believer your whole life, well, the changes might not be quite as obvious. It happens a little more subtly. Uh, you may not have led a life of reckless sin, uh, but still the Holy Spirit should be moving you towards greater Christ-likeness, uh, developing your character over time. Uh, maybe just to use one example, you've become less judgmental over time because you realize that God loves that person just as much as he loves you, and he's working on that person just as much as he's working on you. But the more you read the Bible, the more you pray, the more you seek godly counsel from other Christians, the more you're going to be hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if you're willing, the more you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. So being led by the Holy Spirit simply means seeking His will and being willing to follow the guiding uh, that He gives you. And if you're doing that, you are a son of God. Which brings me to my next question. What does it mean to be a son of God? For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Well, we have tremendous privileges, and I'm going to come back to the privileges we have next week when I talk about us being co-heirs with Christ and, and heirs of God. I mean, staggering things that uh, are in verses 16 and 17 that we'll get to next week. To be a son of God means being adopted into God's family uh, with all the rights and benefits that come with that. But I just want to spend a few minutes right now talking about what it doesn't mean, what, what it does not mean to be a son of God. Jesus is God's son, right? We understand that from the scriptures, and now we're being told that we are God's sons. But yet, that does not make us equal with Jesus, right? That, that doesn't mean we are on par with Jesus in any way. Uh, Jesus is called the only begotten son in the Bible. Uh, the Greek word for only begotten is monogenes, monogenes. It means uh, the unique one, the, the only one of a kind, the special one, uh, the set-apart one. Uh, all of these things that, that put Jesus in a class all by himself. So even though we're both called sons, we are not the same as Jesus. Uh, we share sonship, at least in a metaphorical sense, uh, but we share none of the attributes of Jesus' deity. And so when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door, well, we immediately have a problem, right? Because they will argue that Jesus is not God, and they will claim that language used here shows that we're just the same as Jesus. So they'll claim he's not eternal and that the Trinity is a fiction, and that's a heresy that is worthy of condemnation. So we don't bring Jesus down to our level when we say that we are sons of God like the Jehovah's Witnesses do. On the other hand, we don't raise ourselves up to Jesus' level as the Mormons do. When the Mormons knock on our door, they are going to say that Jesus is a God, lowercase g, and that if we follow in Jesus' footsteps, we can become a God like him too. So we don't raise ourselves up to Jesus' level uh, like the Mormons do. And so what the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are doing is they're just taking Paul's scriptures out of context and trying to equate us with Jesus. Either, uh, either Jesus is not God or we can become God. Uh, they don't recognize the vast chasm between Jesus, who is God, and we, who are not God and never will be God. 
So Paul was not saying that we are sons of God in the sense that we are on par with Jesus. This is metaphorical language. Uh, that is what's going on here. Uh, Paul would never say that we are equal with Jesus. He's just using this adoption and this sonship metaphor to describe this new relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and with God now that we have been saved. But the metaphor is still useful. Uh, it shows us uh, God's great love for us and the benefits of being a member of God's family. And so Paul is going to continue this metaphor into verse 15. He's been talking about being a son here in verse 14, and now he talks about how believers are adopted into God's family in verse 15. Now, adoption is a great metaphor because once we are adopted, we legally belong to a new family. When Jordan is adopted by this new family, uh, that is going to terminate any previous rights that anybody could claim over him. And this new family that adopts him will have all legal rights and responsibility that any parent to any natural born child would have. And the date of his adoption is going to be a hard line in his life. Uh, some families call this gotcha day, uh, the day we gotcha, the day you became part of our family. And Jordan will always be able to point back to that day and say, that is the day when I became part of a family. Now, you and I may not necessarily know the date that we were adopted into God's family, and that's okay. We don't need to know when we were adopted. We only need to know that we've been adopted into God's family. That's the important part. We used to belong to Satan, and we were bound for hell. But now that we've been adopted into God's family, we have become his sons and daughters. And the moment that that happened, we became members of his family, a status that we can never lose no matter what we do. And to prove it, verse 15 addresses uh, some of the benefits that result from being adopted into God's family. And the first one is that we have a new spirit for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Before we were saved, before we were adopted into God's family, we had this spirit of fear that, that, that plagued us. We lived under fear. I can't tell you, I have had this dread of cancer. Like, until I was saved, I lived every day of my life as a young person, sure that I had cancer. Like, I was anything pain I had. I was like, that's cancer. I'm, I'm going to die. I, I just knew it. That is the fear that I had before I became a believer and uh, had that fear removed from me. Uh, that happens when we become uh, children of God. Uh, just look around the world today. Uh, look at the fear around the world today. Uh, we have an election coming up in two and a half months, right? Anybody not aware of that? There's an election coming up in two and a half months. And, and what we see on the news every day is this party throwing mud at that party and that party throwing mud at this party and uh, everybody blaming each other for all the problems uh, that are in the world today. I don't know that there's ever been such hostility between the two political parties. We have a global pandemic that's been going on for six months, right? We don't know when this thing is ever going to lift. Uh, am I going to catch it? Who do I know who has it? Have I been near them in the past three or four days? What is going to happen to me if I get it? Uh, I feel a little sick today. Should I go get tested? Uh, when is this thing going to end? If I get it, will I survive it? Uh, all of these questions, all of these potential reasons uh, to be afraid because of all the uncertainty that the virus brings. 
We have nightly rioting in the streets. Uh, watch the news. Uh, watch what's going on in Portland. I saw a video uh, this week of a man who was dragged from his truck and beaten senseless before a crowd of people who were looking on. And this violence in the streets is happening all over the country. Uh, many of our cities are burning. Could that happen in Garland? Could it happen in Richardson? Could it happen in Allen? Uh, could it happen in Plano, the places that we all live? Could, could that happen to us? Uh, do we need to fear this mob? Should we buy more guns and ammo to protect ourselves? Yes, we should do that. <laughs> there is a lot to fear in the world. <laughs> there is a lot to fear in the world if you are not one of God's children. And fear is stoked by Satan and his demons. Do we know that? Do we know that's, that, that fear is a tool that Satan uses to bring us far from Christ? Uh, Satan and his demons enslave people to fear. And I'm not on Facebook, and I know many of you are. I'm on Twitter. I should probably get off that too. Uh, when I look at that, all I see is just people are afraid and throwing barbs at each other and talking about what's going on in the world. These are all people who don't seem to have a relationship with God, and it's terrifying. And worse than that, when we watch the news, we see people in our own government, people in the media, who are trying to promote fear to further their own agenda. And this seems to happen every election cycle, but this year it seems worse than any other than I can remember. We're being fed lies by politicians and by the media, all designed to influence our vote. And before we were believers, we had just as much reason to fear as the rest of the world, because fear is caused by uncertainty about the future. But unbelievers have no uncertainty about the future. We have no reason to fear. We know that God is in control. We know where we're going. So whereas unbelievers don't know what's going to happen next in this life, and they're afraid of it, believers, we don't know what's going to happen next in this life, but we know God's in control, so we try not to worry about it. Paul, believers, Paul said believers do not have a spirit of slavery to fear again. The Bible says 365 times, one for every day of the year, do not fear. God does not want us to fear. Believers should not be slaves to anything, especially fear. It's one of Satan's great weapons. If he can get us to be afraid, he can, keep, he can get us to take our eye off of God and think about things, enslave us to fear, uh, which takes us away from God. And the Holy Spirit frees us from all of that. Uh, if you looked back over the whole book of Romans, you would see at least 10 times where Paul says, talks about our freedom, how we're supposed to be free from the power of sin, free from the law, free from fear. All of these things, God wants us to be free from the power of fear. And by the Holy Spirit, we can be. We believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all things, God saved us. He promised to make our salvation secure. So what do we have to be afraid of? God sovereignly chooses our leaders. Do we believe that? The Bible says that God picks our leaders. So if the election doesn't go the way we might want it to go in November, well, God has chosen his man. And it may be for mercy. It may be for judgment and discipline. We just don't know. But we know that God is in control. It's the same for coronavirus. God knows about it. He has a purpose in it. He's going to accomplish his purpose, but some good things have come about through it. Uh, our family has been doing a, a Zoom Bible study with people across the country, uh, Molly's extended family, 
uh, in all corners of the country, three generations worth of people, and every week we're doing a Bible study on Zoom, which we never did before coronavirus. So that's been a good thing that's come out of this. Uh, we have had a lot more family meals, and maybe you guys uh, feel the same way. You've spent more time with your family because uh, of this coronavirus. So good things are coming from it, even though bad things are too. Uh, but we know that once God has accomplished his purposes in it, he's going to take it from us. So instead of this spirit of slavery to fear, we've received a spirit of adoption from God. And we know that perfect love, God's love, casts out all fear. So this spirit of fear that comes from Satan uh, or from his evil spirits, uh, that gets cast out when the Holy Spirit comes in. At least that's the way it should be for a believer. Uh, if you grew up in a good family, uh, what did you have to worry about? Your parents handled everything, right? Uh, they protected you. They provided for you. And things were happening in your house that you had no idea were even going on. Like when you went to bed, that's when mom and dad talked about, we have financial troubles, we have health problems, I'm concerned about my job, uh, what are we going to do with uh, this kid who's out of line? You know, all those things were happening after you were asleep. You didn't know anything about them because parents do what parents do, and they leave the kids to deal with things that the kids deal with. And so the things that are going on in the world right now, they're not the least bit in our control. And, and yet we spend all of our time worrying about these things. Let, let's let God control these things. Let's let us worry about the things that we can control and let God be God over the things that he controls. So uh, we have two choices. We can choose to be slaves to fear or we can choose to be led by the Holy Spirit and let God be God. And why would we choose to be slaves to fear when God has freed us from the, the, uh, this slavery to fear, when he's given us his Holy Spirit? Uh, so that's the first thing about being adopted into God's family. We have a new spirit. And the second thing is that we have a new and intimate relationship with God. When somebody is adopted, uh, adoption creates this new legal status, a uh, new legal arrangement between the two parties, the son uh, and the parents. But adoption into God's family is so much more than just a, enjoying a new legal status. If that's all it was, we really wouldn't feel anything, no effect from it. But this spirit of adoption that we have rather than fear is one thing we get, and we get this new intimate relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And before our adoption, we had no right to call him Abba, Father. But now, because we have been adopted into his family, now we do. Now we get to call him Abba, Father. Uh, when, when you got married, you might uh, have called your in-laws mom and dad, right? That, that happens in some families. Before you got married, probably would have been a little awkward, right, to call these strangers mom and dad. But now that you're married, a new relationship is created, and now mom and dad are names that you can use for them. And that's what's going on here when we get adopted into God's family. Uh, Abba is an Aramaic word. Uh, Greek, in the Greek, the word is pater. It means father. They're similar terms. Uh, really, the idea is just uh, words that create this sense of intimacy, this sense of relationship uh, that are reserved for those whom God has adopted. And we can only have this intimacy with God if we have trusted in Jesus for our salvation. And I want us to notice yet again all three members of the Trinity involved in this transaction the Father is the one who adopts us. Jesus is who makes us adoptable. Because of his blood shed on the cross, we can be adopted into God's family. 
And the Holy Spirit is the means or the agency of adoption. By the Holy Spirit, we have received this spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And so it's hard work to save us. And it it takes all three members of the Trinity to do it, but God can safely bring us home. And so uh, that's what God does. He gives us the right to use this intimate language with him if we've trusted Jesus for salvation. And just think about what it cost God to allow us to have this relationship with him. He had to send his son, his only begotten son, to die on a cross for our sins. And it was our sin that put him there, and yet he paid the penalty for it so that we wouldn't have to because of his great love for us. That's how badly he wanted us to have this relationship with him so we could cry out, Abba, Father, to him, that he would send his son here to die that death for us. He held out his arms and he said, I love you this much. That's incredible lengths to go to, to give us the right to be called his sons. We're like infants. We have no ability uh, to feed ourselves, to to do anything toward our salvation, to to fend for ourselves in any way. We can't control our circumstances. We can't control anything. And when we find ourselves in in times of extreme need, uh, sickness or financial worries or marital problems or or the global problems that I talked about earlier, uh, we can cry out to God. We can say, Abba, Father. Uh, Like this morning, we're crying out, Abba, Father, please help Bill Shepard. Please help him uh, overcome this coronavirus. Uh, Molly has a friend who's got a 30-year-old son who has it for seven days now, and he's really, really having a hard time. Uh, And it's scary. Uh, And so we, we cry out, Abba, Father, will you save this young man? And we all know people who are going through it. We can cry out, Abba, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we know that God hears our prayers. He's an attentive father who cares about every detail of our lives, and he wants us to come to him with problems big and small, and we get to crawl up into his lap like little infants and just receive all the love that an infinite God can give us, and that's the relationship that we have when we receive the Holy Spirit. We have the spirit of adoption rather than this fear or a spirit of slavery to fear, and we've been adopted into God's family. Two incredible benefits of being saved. So a couple of implications of being adopted into God's family uh, as we close. And the first one is that we've been adopted into a huge family. Uh, I am the oldest of five boys. That's a pretty big family by earthly standards, right? Uh, But as believers, our spiritual family consists of millions, maybe billions of believers who currently are living, and billions of Christians who have gone before us and who are now in heaven celebrating with the Lord. And they've all gone before. God has adopted every one of those believers into his family. And of course, by earthly restrictions, we'll never meet practically any of them on earth. But we will have the opportunity to meet each and every one of them when we get home to heaven. And I think our universal testimony when we get to heaven is going to be, you know, those problems on earth, they seem pretty bad at the time, but they're long in my rearview mirror. I don't even remember what they are. We're just here dancing. We're celebrating in the presence of our Lord and Savior. So 
uh, their earthly problems, those who have gone before us, are a long distant memory. And, and we'll be able to say that someday too. Whatever we're going through today, uh, I'm not trying to minimize it in any way, but I am saying that it's a blink of an eye before we're celebrating with the Lord in heaven and the problems we have today will seem very small if we remember them at all. So be encouraged that uh, though you may have great problems today, they don't last forever and the celebration that we have coming is way greater than anything we're experiencing right now and we'll see that uh, in a couple of weeks when we get to those verses. So uh, we've been adopted into this huge family, the problems that we have will seem like nothing when we do get there. And the second thought is this, God will never reject anyone he's adopted. Uh, Molly and I have been considering adopting a golden retriever lately. Uh, we miss not having a dog. It's been four or five months now since our last dog passed. Uh, so we've contacted the rescue agency and we've uh, completed their application and we've been interviewed to be sure that we would be fit parents for a dog. And. Uh, <laughs> We are, thankfully, we've, we've passed muster. Uh, but a lot of the golden retrievers that they get in those rescues are strays. Uh, they find them on the street. But sadly, a lot of those golden retrievers are also uh, goldens who have been turned back in, rejected by their families because uh, they were too much for them. Uh, they, they, they chewed too much furniture. They uh, went to the bathroom where they weren't supposed to, things like that. Uh, and we have to recognize, you know, if we're going to adopt a pet, dogs are hard work, right? They're going to chew our shoes and they're going to have accidents. And I'm just thankful that after God adopted me into my home, he didn't reject me the first time I had an accident. We'd all be kicked out, right? Uh, so we're just very grateful for God and his grace and his patience with us. Uh, when God adopts us into his family, we never have to worry about him rejecting us no matter what we do. God's adoption is final and it's permanent. And he celebrates gotcha day with us and he is never giving us back. And that should all give us all a tremendous sense of comfort and peace that no matter how much you may have been rejected by people in your own life, God grabs a hold of you and he never, never lets go. He always wants to be with you and he promises to bring each one of his sons and daughters safely home. So we have nothing to fear when God calls us his own. Well, nine-year-old Jordan is about to be adopted into a new permanent family, and he'll soon know and experience all the joys that being part of an earthly family brings, and I hope it exceeds his wildest dreams. But no matter what he thinks in his, his vivid imagination, what family is going to be like, it pales in comparison to what it means to be part of God's family. And I pray that we all know and experience the joy of being loved by God and adopted into his family forever. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, uh, this concept of being adopted into your family is, is almost too much for us to fathom, uh, that you love us so much that you would send your son to die on a cross for our sins that we committed. We deserve the punishment, and instead, you pay it on our behalf, and you adopt us into your family when we trust in Jesus for, your, for our salvation. Lord, it doesn't get any better than that. That's the best deal going. And I just am so thankful for those in this room and those hearing my voice who have received Jesus Christ. And I pray for those who perhaps haven't, Lord, that today would be the day that they realize that they are sinners and that they are in need of a Savior and that Jesus paid the penalty so that there is no penalty to be, to be paid by us. All we do is receive him, say, Jesus, please, please forgive my sins. And Lord, please 
Uh, forgive my sins and accept me into your family. I trust you for salvation. I love you, Jesus. And Lord, if anybody has prayed that prayer today, I pray that they would let us know. Lord, thank you for this incredible gospel. Thank you for your son who we worship today. And we pray all these things in Christ's matchless name. Amen.